0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk I'm your host Damien Abraham Once again I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up in a punk May or may not still be involved with punk But have life changed by the genre in a major way And to end the show, my buddy, my pal Donnie Blair from the bands It's a long list so I'm going to abbreviate it I guess Hagfish, Only Crime, The Toadies But there's a lot more we discuss in this episode I assure you He is, a, uh, as I said, a friend of mine and someone that I have a deep admiration for many bands he's been in, and of course, he is also another voice in the greatest story ever told on Turnit Punk, and that is the ballad of the Blair Brothers' Zach and Donnie, an MVP professional wrestler, which you can hear on Episodes 101. Anyway, I'll get into all this in one second. Right now, I'm recording from a van in the middle of a parking lot in Milwaukee on tour, Uh, and so that... Could explain the audio problems. A little, little weird out here by myself, so I'm going to keep this short. Uh, you can find me on various forms of social media at Leftford Damien. If you want to get in touch with the show, hit up the email address turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. That and an Instagram page and a Facebook page for turned out a punk are all run by my brother. And guest booker, normally extraordinary Tristan Abraham, I booked this one myself. Actually, Zach Blair booked this one, but uh, Tristan normally books the show, and you can get in touch with him over there. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it, let them all know. I play in a band called Fucked Up, hence why I'm in a parking lot in Milwaukee right now. You can find out more information about shows we're playing over at fuckedup.cc. And uh, we've got a bunch of shows. We're on tour right now, we're going to be going across Canada we got some records available there, a new album called One Day and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, head over to fuckedup.cc for more information on that. On to today's show. As I said off the top, Donnie Blair is on the show. This is an episode I've been wanting to do for a very long time and it took it took forever for this to happen. And I apologize because, yeah, this is, as I said off the top, this is part of the greatest story I think that's ever been told on Turn It A Punk, which we'll get much more into on the episode you can find out more information about Donnie's band, The Toadies, over at com, And also, Donnie has written an incredible book called Even If It Kills Me Martial Arts and Rock, and Rock and Roll and the Mortality ebook. You can find that all available wherever you buy your ebooks, actually, over at Amazon and other places. And it's a fascinating story about a guy's journey. Well, You'll hear. This will be like a, a preview for that book right now on this episode. Anyway, I'm not going to ramble on it anymore. I've got to get out of this parking lot. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy Donnie Blair on Turned Out a Punk. Donnie, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm so stoked. I'm, I've, I've heard you and my brother go for so long, like, well, oh, it, come on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know, I know, and I that's guess, that's I'm me. Guess. That's my fault. I, no. I got
1: <laughs> Zach's way cooler than me, man. Anyone that's met him, even my wife, thinks so. Uh, well, <laughs> I,
0: I I know who I'm picking in a fight. I'll tell you that much, and it might not be uh, Zach in the
1: situation. No. <laughs> I, you know what? I had to fight a lot because of my brother's mouth. It wasn't necessarily me. It was him getting, I mean, flapping his fucking gums at people, and like, oh yeah, well, my brother will do. Check this out, like the fuck's wrong with you you know and so then i would all, i would have to go in as i got to back my brother's play and just get the shit kicked out of me all the time all the time i got beaten up but can't let anyone fuck with my little brother you know
0: well, we're just, we're going to we're going to talk about that and i'm sure we're going to get to <laughs> the uh the more uh trained era of your life that you're living in now in terms of uh fighting skills awesome. martial arts skills yeah. but before we get okay. there we got to start them off the way they all start off which is donnie how did you get in a punk Do you remember the first time you ever came
1: across it great fucking question i think it was i know zach has talked about the no wave record that he's obsessed with that we we're both obsessed with that would be the first one um and i guess it's our dad brought it home so basically kind of our dad got us into punk rock you know um that was kind of like instead of just full on going from Metallica straight to the sex pistols and safety pins we already kind of had that intro entree with no wave and the whole new wave movement and so looking at all the ripped up clothes and all that stuff wasn't really a weird thing for us because we were already watching you know oingo boingo, which, if you don't think about it now, like oingo boingo are in punk rock, but back in the day, again, my dad got us into oingo boingo because he thought Danny Elfman looks cool, you know. And if you see that stuff, if you see Devo, if you grow up with that, or even the police, kind of going into punk rock and watching the Sex Pistols or Buzzcocks or something like that, it's really not that difficult, you know. At, at least it wasn't for us. We we're like, "Oh, okay, this is just a little bit faster and more aggressive and it makes us tingle and want to go destroy shit." And we're into that, you know. It's a, it was just a step up. It was an evolution from what we were already into, you know.
0: Well, I think with uh, you know, and Danny Elfman's been on the show, so I definitely consider Oingo Boingo Oh
1: yeah. Oingo it, Boingo are just amazing.
0: Absolutely. Hey, but it's it's funny how that stuff was now we just take it for granted how weird yeah. that stuff was and how interesting that stuff was. But but when you put it into the landscape of Captain and Tennille and the Eagles and even Led Zeppelin, it's so <laughs> yeah. radical.
1: Yeah. And that's what was, I look back on it. I'm so glad we had our dad and our parents that pushed us with music because they loved everything. You know, my dad would, he loved Robin Trower, of course, and ZZ Top and all that stuff. And he and my mom were always playing Steely Dan. She loved the Eagles and that kind of stuff, you know. But Steely Dan was where they met up. They're like, "All right, we can have common ground here." So we—they're still one of our favorite bands. But my dad was also bringing home uh, from the record store, uh, like from the radio station. He would bring Oingo go. He brought No Wave. You know, he—we still got uh, the uh, uh, "Ain't This Life" like ten-inch that my dad got. We've got uh, Regatta de Blanc and three 10-inch records. My dad just grabbed them and brought them home, you know, and he would just bring a shit he thought we would like. And if we didn't like it, he'd take it back like, okay, that didn't work out. Well, here's this, you know? He turned us on to everything, you know?
0: Well, you brought up ZZ Top there, and that's another group that I've gotten a better appreciation of, in Texas especially, from doing this yeah. podcast. And, like, yeah. they're they're almost like the Texas Ramones in a lot of way. Like, they were the, the yeah. proto-punk in, in
1: some regards. They were because I think just, like, they were already huge before they did Eliminator. Like, I don't really care for anything past Big Wayo. You know what I mean? I mean in that record when that came out that's all my old man listened to we had it on eight track we had it on vinyl cassette everything zach and i know that record back and forth (laughs) but if you go behind that there's tejas which is amazing fandango is amazing you know um it was just that you know like my dad actually uh he said right when they started touring when zz talk started touring he went down to uh, the courthouse in Sherman. He heard some band was going to play. And it was a band sitting up on the courthouse uh, steps. And they turned around. And it was Easy Top. And he watched them for an hour and a half. This is like 1970, 71. You know, no one yeah, had really awesome. heard of him. Yeah, he had bought their first record, of course, because he was a long hair, which is a different thing than being a hippie. Mm-hmm. Completely different thing. So many people think, um, and I've talked to Zach about this um hippies they were this peace love and all that kind of stuff and we're gonna do this long hairs had long hair hated rednecks but they would beat the shit out of you that was the difference so <laughs> there's no peace <laughs> my dad was that yeah he didn't yeah fuck that my dad was a long hair he loved weed he loved ZZ top and he just hated rednecks You know, <laughs> but don't think he's a hippie they don't just kick your ass you know so
0: Well, that sounds like my kind of dude, you know, I, I, I hate hate rednecks and I love weed. So that's all right with me too. But it's, it's interesting when you do think about Texas, because obviously I think, especially in Canada, not being down there, there's, there's also like a certain opinion of what Texas is or or certain stereotypes that people hold. But then when you break it down culturally, like so much subversive shit and cool anarcho kind of vibe stuff going back to like rocky erickson and electric flag and janice joplin but like right yeah. the way through the butthole surfers and then of course all the stuff that's going on in denton like the denton scene that you guys are kind of a part of too like that's shit's wild when that starts happening
1: it was it was like it's my texas never had i think whenever Vaughn and all that stuff came out, that was finally the thing that Texas could latch on to. Because other than that, you can't pitch and hole butthole surfers to go to Pantera to go into Janis Joplin to Stevie Ray Vaughn, you know, or, you know, to Erica Badu, mm-hmm. you know, or anyone, you know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. kind of weird. Yeah, we do have we're prevalently, we're, we're mainly known for blues rockers and stuff like that. But if you really dig deep, you hear about all these other te- bands that are from texas that you don't really know they didn't know they're from texas but they're influencing so many other people that they don't have that texas sound yet we all kind of have like you said anarcho vibe i think that's just how we're raised um reading about the texas revolution and texas history and basically being a country before it was a state and all of that stuff you read about it and it gets into your dna and just your psyche of like well everyone's doing that Fuck that we're not going to we're going to go do this you know a yeah. lot of it is Fuck that we're not going to do that we're going to do this you know and it, it's it's a it's a great place to live and grow up it's got its problems now unfortunately but um it's still hard to give it up you know what i mean so it's still uh stick in there and fight the good fight you know
0: well, I think it's like, what was that former governor who once said that Texas is like a, a bowl of tomato soup and Austin is the blueberry floating in the middle? Describe <laughs> the political climate. I forget, the, the last governor or two governors ago, I think he had that quote.
1: Uh, It probably, it was either Bush or. Uh, it was after Bush. Guy. It was the
0: guy. Yeah. Rick. Yeah. Rick. Rick. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Yeah, try to for- I forgot that douche because they made him head of NASA. For- That's like making me head of NASA. <laughs> <laughs> it but makes I think more sense,
0: <laughs> but it's interesting when you think about, you know, the political context that all of you guys are, are kind of growing up in and all, all mm-hmm. Texas kids that kind of want to rebel are growing up in it, It's like you got to re- because you're, because rebelling is so much harder to do when people rebel, they rebel so much fucking
1: harder than a lot of other places. Texans definitely do. And it's, it goes both ways. It's, It's also weird depending where you live. I mean, where I live in Amarillo is very conservative red area. Yet the majority of my friends, really good, good friends I have are Republicans and they know I'm pretty lefty, you know, they don't give a shit. They're like, all right, whatever. Are we going to roll or not? Dumbass. You know, they don't care. It doesn't matter. You know, so I'm lucky in that regard that I don't. I, I don't have to get into a lot of heated political discussions because it's people that are like, okay, who cares? Someone's going to be in as a president for years. someone isn't, are we going to not be friends because of that? No, we're not. So let's be friends. And we just won't talk about that shit. We'll talk about other things, you know? So I'm kind of lucky. I got lucky in that, you know, some people aren't, <laughs> but the majority of my friends are, they're all pretty, pretty badass good stand-up people
0: well from what Zach's kind of told me growing up you weren't necessarily in such a tolerant area for people that wanted to be a little bit different
1: no no we weren't and it was also pre-internet I mean we got called so many derogatory names we got called I mean we would wear like you remember jams like the flower yeah we couldn't even afford jams so my grandma had to make them you know she would make them for us they were like blams or something like that i don't know what the fuck they were they're like (laughs) super bumper version of jams but um we had long hair you know we were wearing anthrax and sod and you know fucking black flag and voivod shirts you know which voivod come on you know and we were those guys we were the weird guys in high school and people were picking on and saying that we were never going to do anything like we better go to college because we weren't going to amount to shit. and like well then i'm not going to amount to shit because we can't afford college so we got to figure something out you know mm. and it was just kind of turbulent you know of every day and you don't think about it until you go back and look at it when you're you know when you're older like wait every day was a struggle not in our household our parents were completely supportive and if we got into fights um you know my dad would say well you know, what happened? You I would tell him, like, I was walking on the hall and some guy just started screwing with me. And then what happened? Well, then we got in a fight and I got beaten up because, okay. Well, um, and he was bigger than you, right? I'm like, yeah, you know, he's a really good fighter. I'm like, okay. But did you take any shit from him? I'm like, no, sir. All right. That's all my dad cares about. <laughs> did you take any shit from him? No. Okay. Same with my mom. Our parents weren't, uh, You know brush your teeth at night you know eat your vitamins eat your vegetables like did you take any shit from anyone no okay it's all they cared about in our lives so So, it was that i'm sorry go ahead no no no. i was gonna where were you
0: getting sort of these like voivod and all these metal records because like this stuff is not mainstream by anyone's definition especially then so where is this kind of coming onto your radar from is it through your dad again
1: no um at that time we got Fucking lucky right around that point. And first off, we met a friend of ours named William. Um, we had just bought Master Puppets. It had just come out, like probably the year beforehand, 86. So this is like middle 87, you know. And um we were we bought it. Remember, my mom bought it for us at Target. That's what I remember. So <laughs> and we took it home, we're like, fuck, we heard this is badass. We listened to it for a few days then we were like, we got to put this away for a bit. We were not ready for it. Like at that point, the heaviest shit we listened to was, we were listening to like Malmstein and Maiden, you know, I mean, again, my mom bought us live after death at a Sears, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, and even before that, our parents had told us once we got like older, we were getting the music, they were like, all right, boys, we want you to, leave your room for a couple of hours. We're going to decorate it. And we were like, oh, this is going to suck so fucking bad.
0: This is going to be
1: horrible. So they were like, all right, come on in, check it out. And they had bought a kiss poster, um, great white. They bought the number of the beast poster. So our parents put Satan on our wall, you know, <laughs> they bought this shit for a picture of heather thomas and a jacuzzi we were like you you guys know we're gonna jerk off to this right i mean we're we're gonna so you know and we did like I i think that was my old man's gift like here's my gift to you like okay you know i mean that's that's what we were being raised with our parents were that inclusive and supportive of everything mm-hmm. so we you know whenever every mtv came out they got us that so we could watch that stuff you know so we got into you know so much different stuff from mtv from 120 minutes to the headbangers ball or rip rip had just come out and we also had a uh, TV, uh, radio sh- sh- uh, station in Dallas called a Z Rock, and um, it played all metal. We couldn't believe it. You know, it was only an hour and a way We listened to it every day, like just religion. It's all we listened to for years was Z Rock. You know, all of the metal bands would go through. Ozzy would be on there. They would only play Sabbath or Ozzy, Slayer, Guns and Roses. They'd play whatever was heavy and rock at that point in time. They played it. So we got really lucky being turned on to all this shit at the same time and figuring out like Voivod, the fuck is Voivod. So we looked at it, went to our local music land and got killing technology. Mine was fucking blown, you know. And Mm. we tried it with so many different records, you know. One day we got lucky. We're like shit, Celtic Frost into the pandemonium. Then the next week napalm death not so much you know (laughs) really you know what you were doing oh no but unfortunately (laughs) also tried it with the cramps like this is going to be amazing not so much but now cramps one of my favorite bands in the world I just wasn't ready for it yeah you know or if anything if Metallica said it we're like okay we got to find some misfits you know so it's just that kind of shit you know what I mean
0: was there texas metal like obviously texas metal becomes such a huge thing but had that scene already started by that point
1: oh yeah rigor mortis it began Mm -hmm. and ended there you know well at that point in time pantera was around but they didn't have phil they had a guy named terry blaze and i think that was him i can't really remember um (laughs) but they would play god this place called the electric company and um uh Sherman, but they only did covers at that point in time. And I remember I was I just started playing bass a few years previous. And these girls went to go see them. And they were like, Donnie, you would love them. Uh their bass player's name was Rex Rocker. He was amazing. And I was like, whatever. I didn't know shit. That guy's a fucking stone cold badass. But at that point he was Rex Rocker. Yeah. You know, and they were wearing everyone knows about, you know, I think their first true records. It's old business. Everybody knows that. And they hadn't become Pantera yet. Mm-hmm. But before them was rigor mortis. Have you heard rigor mortis?
0: I've heard some stuff after Zach kind of talked him up to me online because uh...
1: so yeah, their first record was on Capitol Records. And we were like, all right, let's go give this a try. And we got it, and it again blew our fucking brains. So then we went and saw them. At the arcadia which is only like maybe it was 1200 people open for slayer on the south on the yeah south of heaven tour oh that's so awesome. yeah i think we got a contact high there's so much weed in there because i had to sit down we were slamming and i was like whoa i gotta sit down oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> it was serious but you know it was fantastic you know and then casey and all those guys and mike scotcher became great friends of ours you know but at that point in time it was rigor mortis they were the ones pretty much just kind of leading the charge with that and they were just they were beyond their time i think people couldn't catch up to them they were so fast so precise so amazing they weren't normal slow metal or any of that it was they were way ahead of their time and uh, so i think they only they only did a couple of records you know before they broke up but check it out
0: that's also like that band Devastation I think they were ahead of their time they only did like two LPs right
1: I remember Devastation were they Texas Texas well? too
0: I think there might be Dallas I might be totally off on that but they were I, don't
1: know. Just,
0: I think they opened for the cro when they first came through and then they
1: oh they might have been Austin or San Antonio okay. something like that I think they were South I don't really I mean then again I could be saying that it could be completely full of shit but I'm pretty sure they I don't know if they were from Dallas or not.
0: It's a big state, a lot of music coming out of it, so I can imagine. Fucking huge state, dude. It's such a big state. When did Forbidden Cause form? Like how long in, oh, after playing bass?
1: Oh, nice. Um, it's a favorite started, band on this
0: podcast. It comes up all the time.
1: Oh, man, that is crazy. Well, 80, I started in 85. We got that band together in 88, I guess. Before that, we had a a band we never played out called Lunacy. That was our first band with the guy William that turned us on to um, heavy, like basically heavy stuff. We walked into his room and he was playing uh, My War. You know, we met him with his little brother Brad, but he was playing My War. We were like, what the fuck is this? He was like, you're going to want to hold on to your asses. Check this out. Then he played Rain and Blood. Then he played the first Suicidal. Then he played Spreading the Disease. So, Zach and I were like, where the fuck are we? You know? <laughs> so, William and Brad, they were from Florida and they really helped out with our, our getting to know things and our uh, information and knowledge and finding these bands. We never would have heard of Slayer unless mm. we found them. They turned us on to so many great bands and we just lapped it up. We're like, oh shit this is kind of like the same stuff from that Metallica record that we got. So then we started putting that back into rotation, you know, and it all just kind of went from there. And we never looked back like, Oh, this speaks to me. You know,
0: you really needed to rely on someone who had access to stuff back then because there was just no freedom of information.
1: It was not. It wasn't as prevalent. It wasn't like iTunes, you know. Yeah. I mean, now I'm going on iTunes. Like, oh shit, you can find, you know, the first Violence record on here. Holy shit, you can find DBC. Do you remember Dead Brain Cells? Yes. From are they from Montreal? Fuck yeah, they yeah I, Montreal. I know they're Canadian. I think I they're Montreal. That.
0: Montreal was like the metal. That that was our Dallas, Texas up here. I guess like that was our metal That's, capital.
1: Well, you got boy VOD. So what more do you need? You yeah,
0: know? yeah. There's there a- was oh sorry go on
1: no no you go ahead go ahead before
0: no i was just going to say like can, canadian metal is is a big thing up here too it's never celebrated never really brought up in sort of mainstream canadian music industry stuff but when you break it down wow. like my god there's so much incredible
1: metal from up here there's just so much incredible music from the third period from all walks you know i mean i would say half of the bands my favorite bands on the planet are all from there so so it's, it's
0: Drake, Justin Bieber, Ryan uh, Adams. That's the big three. Right fuck
1: no. I mean, no means no. You got huevos yeah. Rincheros. You got Shadowy Men, obviously Rush, you know, Void void fucking everyone, dude. It's just so but but like but we started anyway, back to Forbidden Cause. I got off the subject. Um which is just literally the stupidest name ever. What cause were we was forbidden to us?
0: You guys always say that. I don't think it's that bad yeah. of a name. Like, I'm in a bank all Fucked Up, so I really shouldn't be handing out hey. band name advice. But Oh, come on. That's
1: <laughs> great. <laughs> fucked Up, come on. What forbidden you Cause is great, up? you know? It, we were 17. There was no cause that was forbidden. I mean, getting laid, that was forbidden. <laughs> but that wasn't like we couldn't. It's just that no one wanted to. You could staple $100 bills to us. We still wouldn't have gotten laid you know we had no cause there's no cause survival
0: Donnie survival you guys are being beaten up every day because Ah, you
1: chose to like heavy metal Ah, we're Texans we're used to it you know what (laughs) I mean there's no cause you know I mean that after that band dissolved that turned into harm's way with a Z
0: (laughs) I love that harm's way recording are you kidding that record's amazing dude zach was like oh it sounds like seven seconds for years he told me that I don't oh, I find. That's I heard it. oh that's government,
1: government flu oh government flu
0: that's it yeah the government harms flu Harm's
1: way was our thrash band it was it sounded like uh god we sounded like beneath the remains versus like if you mix beneath the remains simple Tritta, with south of heaven that's what harm's way sounded like
0: but that there's a recording of the harm's way stuff too right
1: I or, think so if anyone has it zach has it
0: yeah because i think I'm, he sent me that too because he sent me something and he's like oh it's gonna sound like seven seconds and it raged it was that's just,
1: government flu Okay, yeah, yeah, the government flu stuff, yeah. that stuff i love that was with our friend tony and he taught us what straight edge was we didn't know we thought we were just like the weird goons at parties that didn't drink or do drugs people would make fun of us for that like you're not gonna drink like no because i don't want to be a and you know drunk dumbass like you are falling all over the place you know and we just thought we were weird until we met my friend tony and he goes oh no no you guys are straight edge we're like the fuck straight edge and he told us he goes it's like bands like minor threat and you know seven seconds and then bad religion and all this we were like shit yep we're straight edge that's what we are <laughs> <laughs> fucking you right we're straight edge <laughs> You listen to gorilla Biscuit, it's like, all right, I'm fucking straight edge, you know. And it was, we had something to grasp onto. Mm-hmm. Not only was it music we loved, but it had an ideal that we were. It was like, oh shit, we're not weird anymore. We can be part of something, you mm-hmm. know. We're mm-hmm. we're part of something now. That's this is far cooler, and the music rips. So yeah, we're that, you know.
0: Yeah, I, feel, I was the same way. I never wanted to drink, never wanted to do drugs, and finding straight edge it gave me not like an identity but more like like a cause like yes you know, like something we a could forbidden all, cause a forbidden cause exactly and it was forbidden because no one was like yes. your entire life is being encouraged to drink and do drugs and yes you yes. know you're choosing not to
1: that's what I hated we saw it our whole lives just with you know, people coming over to our parents' house and grown adults acting stupid, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, people we grew up with, you know, like one day we're in eighth grade, everything's cool. Then we hit ninth grade and they're going to parties and they're acting like dumbasses because they can drink? The hell, you know, and it just it never made sense to me of wanting to get that way so you can feel better or cooler. And I understand everyone has their own reasons. So I'm not I'm not judging anyone. I'm saying from my own perspective, I never understood it ever. Because to me, it was going to keep me from being able to play. Like, well, if I can't focus, then I can't play bass, you know, good. And I'm working on getting better at that. I don't need an inebriator or something to kill what I'm already barely grasping onto at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, got, I got enough troubles of my own figuring this shit out. I don't need alcohol or anything to, to kill it for me. So, and it wasn't, I guess, and I guess a lot of people just feel more relaxed with it. And I never felt that way, you know? And mm-hmm. I think Zach and I have this theory that our parents did so many drugs in the sixties and seventies that it's just in us. It's just in our DNA anyway. <laughs> so we don't need it. Like, Oh, okay. We just feel like that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That salvador
0: dolly thing is i don't need drugs i am drugs
1: pretty much (laughs) you know and i think we were just born that way like oh okay no you know we're just born this way but it was uh go ahead please
0: oh no you you mentioned going to that pantera show so bands were coming through sherman or like at least local bands were coming to play
1: oh yeah because it's only in we're only about 45 minutes barely an hour north of dallas so there would be clubs up there um it was part of like the the circuits and stuff like that and people would go up and play and have fun and they go back and haul ass back to dallas and stuff and so lots of people played this electric company place you know and they were always there they were there about every other month i think so and then they started getting more popular And I think they played there again once after Anselmo joined the band, right when they did Power Metal, that record. Mm -hmm. And then we didn't hear from them again until Cowboys from Hell came out. And we're like, what the fuck is this? Like, holy shit. But still, at that point, it was great. But at that point, Zach and I were already in, like, okay, well, when's the new Pestilence record coming out? So. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so they were already like, "Nah, I want to find out that new fucking Pestilence record. Let's let's talk about that." You know what I mean? That's already where our heads were. So we were already still not really impressed, you know, with that. I think we were some of the few Texans that weren't impressed or weren't fans of theirs right out of the gate. It took a couple of records. Far Beyond Driven was the first record of theirs that I like. Oh shit now we're fucking talking you know
0: so were there any punk bands locally that would be playing too like sherman based punk bands that would i guess government flu would have been playing those type bands now
1: yeah we were about the only ones um we had to go to dallas for the punk bands Mm. you know we had to do that um and we actually we were we only had one show we played at the slip disc you know our friend sean bailey booked us that gig and I played with uh, plastic gloves because I saw Jello do it and I thought it'd be cool. And I'm like, wait, I can't play. <laughs> Fucking dumbass, man. So anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you can't make this shit up. You can't make it up, man. And Zach was like, you're going to play with those? Like Jello did it. He was singing, dumbass. He wasn't playing at bass. Like, it'll be fine. <laughs> it wasn't fine. So <laughs> we were handing out flyers for that at Bill's Records and Tapes. And met Banning Lion, who we started Hagfish with. So Government Flu did that one show and our drummer, Daniel, who was from Harm's Way, quit because he didn't like playing the punk rock stuff. He wanted to go back and do other things. So we needed a drummer and we auditioned Banning and it was on a drum kit that wasn't, that he wasn't used to. So the audition went pretty shitty, you know, but. We loved hanging out with him and talking to him and he was like guys if you try me out on my stuff it'll be far better i promise so zach was like you know what let's just you and i go down there and play with him and see what happens so we did and we were like let's just start our own band with him you know and we wanted to do different things and it just kind of clicked right from there but and that's how we started hagfish
0: and by that point you guys were already pretty deep into sort of the descendants fandom right
1: oh yeah well it's we were we were at the tip mm. of it we were still discovering them my friend Tony would would be be telling us like Bill Stevenson's the best drummer on the planet you know it's not far off still you know yeah um still is one of the top I think it's but fun watching
0: it was, I don't mean to cut you off but it's it's fun watching no. it's fun watching a drummer watch Bill Stevenson And just like how much they're like, they just appreciate everything. It's like stuff that I could never see that they're like, oh my god, you gotta, you can't believe what he's doing, like the shit he's doing. Because like, as terms of like, he's not, you know, he's he's not up there killing the drum kit in a way that you you'd expect, you know, to be blown away a drummer. But the drummers are like, no, what he does is so perfect and so methodical. He's the drummers' drummer.
1: He ruins people's lives. You know, (laughs) I've seen so many drummers watch him and go, oh, and I just watch them shaking their head like, this sucks, you know, and they just shrug their shoulders and walk like, yeah, I mean, I do it watching the Carl. So (laughs) I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm gonna, I've got a lot of firewood I can sell then I'm not gonna need it after watching him. Uh, We were like at the top, Uh, we were just now getting into bad religion and uh, descendants. And then banning turned us into all as well you know and then we started just going down rabbit holes of mob vision orchestra from that and even more black flag just everything everything known to man you know and it really opened up our eyes just we were constantly looking for new people to meet because a to my brother and i basically from our dad he was bringing us records and bringing us music so to us, you, we were gonna find out more information from other people than we could ourselves. You know, Meeting my friend Brad and, uh, Brad and William turned us on to punk rock and, and metal, big time metal. Then meeting uh, Tony turned us on to straight edge and hardcore. Meeting Banning turned us on to so many other bands and so much stuff. So we were always just thirsting to meet new people like, whoa, What is that guy going to turn us on to? You know, every person that we met that we thought was kind of like us, like, all right, what are you listening to? I met some friends of mine named Colin and his brother. um, They had a band called The Diversions. They loved No Means No, turned us on to No Means No. We're like, fuck, great. Now we got to buy every No Means No record there is. And we did. So it was just, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have that.
0: Well, and it's it's like you were saying earlier how now, You can go on and hear any violence record you want. You can hear any siege recording you want. Like there's just everything there. But you don't have that kind of need to be as I guess religiously adherent to one record. Like if you got that no means no record, whether you like it or not, you're gonna listen to it until you start to like it
1: yes yeah dude you paid a lot of money you paid for a lot thing, man yes. oh, that shit was expensive like yeah. well but sometimes it just didn't work like you remember that band etrope z-o-e-t-r-o-p-e yes. yeah. yeah. we were so and raven raven was another one zach and i were like raven the beast is back holy shit this is gonna be amazing oh my god it was fucking horrible we were like and my dad was like so would you guys think about that record we were like sucked and he was like well, hold on let me listen to it Ugh. you know but <laughs> you know then again sometimes you can judge a book by its cover like possessed seven churches we yeah. bought that guess what it's fucking awesome you know? yeah yeah and we no, showed our bad, mom oh my god wow. with upside down crosses and blood and just with the logo like this is going to be badass and we had it laying around and our mom would always go in and uh do our uh like clean up our room so like, hey mom want to show you this we bought this record we just want you to see it so you don't think we're satanists and she looked at the back and was like oh you boys don't believe this shit, do you we're like no we just like the music all right <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's like that kind of stuff you know is going to be amazing and you don't you can try stuff out before you buy it so many times now Uh you really can. And it's, it's cool for record nerds and music nerds like us, but it also kills that, that zing of when you find something that's great because you've been bitten in the ass so many times beforehand, you know?
0: Well, even when I love something, you know, there's just so much stuff to listen to and new stuff coming out that I don't give myself a chance to like really study it in the way that I did records back then. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like, you know, yourselves and all and descendants with hagfish, like that was a band. You guys were kids that heard a sound and were like, we want to do our own take on this sound. And that only comes from studying a sound and understanding it.
1: Oh, it did. And we also had the advantage of, we had to drive an hour back from Sherman to Rockwall, where Banning lived. Mm. So we were listening to music, going to his house on the weekends, and then listening to music on the way back. We were always listening to music with him. We just associated ourselves with with music nerds. That's how we've always been our, our best friends. have been people who love music. My wife, my wife is a huge music nerd. We don't necessarily have the same music tastes. It pretty much... We love the hives and rocket from the crypt past that. it's like, "Eh, we'll figure it out, you know, but the thing I love about her is the bands that she loves, the artists that she loves, she is emphatic about them. She loves every lyric, every album, she has everything. And so it's like, I think as long as you have that, you're good. It doesn't matter if you have the same music tastes, who cares? You're not necessarily going to love the same as your partner and all that stuff, you know, but as long as you love music equally, that's all that matters, you know? And so we've always had that when relationships with friends or anyone, they have to love music as much, you know, doesn't matter what it is, as long as they have that passion for it. you know.
0: Yeah, for me, it's not even it doesn't even have to be music. It like it could be if someone's passionate about someone's obsessed with model trains. I find that interesting because they'll they'll bring you into their world a little bit. Maybe not crypto. Yeah. Crypto is the one thing that if someone's obsessed with it, I don't, I don't really want to hear about it.
1: I, you're right. Because again, my wife is a she's obsessed with Lego and yeah. trains, and yeah. so Lego trains. Oh shit! I mean, I mean, I mean. Oh shit! You can't see it, but like behind me, that's awesome that's like Lego. The behind me, right back there, that's just Lego cars. Oh, I have to give you a star Wars Lego. I can show you (laughs) when we're done. I'll show you her office. It's an, it's amazing, but but that's what I love. I love people who are obsessed because they understand passion. mm -hmm. They understand passion for something other than fucking football. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Or Dallas Cowboys are getting hammered on the weekends or something. It's like, no, they put their time and their energy into something that you can hold, you can listen to. You can really get into that is in your control. Not whether 11 assholes pass the ball or they don't. Who gives a shit? You're going to let that ruin your weekend? No, you know. (laughs) But, if Voivod are coming through town with violence and you can't go because it's the Dimension hey Trust tour and Piggy got brain cancer and they canceled the whole tour, that bums out your fucking weekend because that's yeah. what happened to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We yeah. were so bummed, you know, but you yeah. know what I mean? And it's like that, that I understand. Getting mad about a football game, losing, I, I can't, I can't compute that. It doesn't <laughs> register in my head, you know, I just don't, I don't get it.
0: You know, I find it interesting when you think about that kind of all cruise record scenes and how big it was. And it seems like it just, there's no real, you know, sort of remnants of it in any sort of way. Like it was like one of the biggest sort of subsects of punk for a time. And then it just seemed like it just disappeared. And I guess Hagfish transcends that and winds up doing sort of like part of the fat records world and sort of like a larger sort of pop punk scene beyond that world. But you know, in terms of bands like that, Mega City 4, Doughboys, All, like that kind of oh, like
1: yeah.
0: adult pop punk scene that existed for a time, like it, it really is extinct, it feels like.
1: It is, and I think, I would think that it kind of carried over into some of the pop punk bands, but they pretty much just stay true to the descendants, you mm-hmm. know. I think mm-hmm. a lot of them, like the Blink-182s and guys like that and Less Than Jake and, and all those guys, are definitely, I think they're all fans. But you, you go more for Descendants. You know what yeah, I mean? Definitely. All it would kind of depend on some of the records. You know what I mean? Because they got crazy with some shit. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I love. Uh, oh goddamn it! The EP with uh, Dave Smalley, the last one. Um, it's got postage on it.
0: I'm, I'm see, that's the thing is like, I, I find, I do have some all records, but like all yeah. is like you're saying, it, it's like a cult, a separate cult. And you, you can be a descendants fan. It Everyone's is. a descendants fan, but to be an all yeah. fan, that is to be a hardcore fan.
1: That's different. Yeah. And I love all it's, mm-hmm. but also like we got into them when Scott was in the band. Mm-hmm. So all Roy saves had just come out. So after we got into them, they played Dallas and we went on that tour and it, was fucking amazing it blew our minds you know and to see these guys on stage and it was so much different than seeing slayer or, or anthrax or those other bands these guys were right here we could touch them if we wanted we can go out and talk to them and we did like whoa we're talking to them Blew our minds like it was just another thing of you know punching the veil pretty much and going behind oz's curtain like oh wow that's kind of bullshit these are just really good people. They're just up there doing the thing that we want to do and they're being real about it. But you're right, about all it they would go down some weird dark paths, you know, and just some crazy stuff that you're either along for the ride or you're not. And they don't give a shit. They're gonna do it anyway. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Whether you like it or not, who cares? And it was awesome. I mean, like all Roy says, or I'm sorry, saves. That record's basically just Descendants meets Birds of Fire from Avishnu Orchestra. That's all it is.
0: <laughs> it but, is,
1: but you, it you totally is.
0: You bring up a great point with that too. Whereas like Descendants are are just like a pop punk band. And I don't mean that to be dismissive. Like a hardcore punk no. pop punk band, but like all is closer to a prog rock band. Like the way they're approaching yeah. this music is is progressively.
1: Well, and they descendants got into that from the record all because Mm. they got Stefan and Carl in the Mm. band and Stefan and Carl brought in so many more different things that Bill was already into. They loved my Vishnu. He already loved my Vishnu. He told me that um, when he picked Carl up from the bus station, right? Never met him before. Only talked to him on the phone briefly. Carl comes in. Bill's Mm -hmm. driving and they didn't really know what to say. So Bill said, he would go, uh, so who's your favorite bass player? And Carl went, geezer butler. Bill said, he thought to himself, we're gonna be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was That's like, Man, awesome. Badass, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's, they finally had two guys that were at his uh, musicianship level and mm. able to stretch out and do these things that he wanted to do. And they kind of just went crazy with it, you know? And that's what appealed to Zach and I, because our dad also turned us on to prog rock, King Crimson, Old Genesis. Yes, definitely. It was, we loved hard rock, new wave, but it was also, all right, but make sure you listen to Yes and King Crimson too. You guys can listen to Metallica all you want. Listen to Yes. Listen to this stuff as well. We had to, you know, and so that appealed to us as well like these guys are punk rock but they're throwing in jazz they're throwing in proc they're throwing all this great shit in because we didn't want to just play just the ramones although the ramones you know one of the best bands ever we weren't at that level yet where we could see how genius the ramones were we just thought if you played a lot of notes and it was all this stuff It was cool and it was married with punk rock we weren't at the ramones level of getting into the dna that it was how mind-blowing once we did that's what flipped hagfish around
0: but i think i think that's the difference between the ramones and a lot of other bands is that johnny is the first to tell you that he wasn't a musician like he could obviously do some great things with that guitar but he viewed it more like he was a guitarist and this was a tool he wasn't he didn't think of himself as an artist at least from any conversation i had with him or other anything i've you know read that he said
1: yeah i mean it's the same thing from what i've read but yeah. it's if you get into the dna of mm-hmm. them and playing it correctly it's the same as trying to play acdc correctly. oh yeah yeah people think it's easy like oh you think it's easy go do it see how easy it is you're gonna sound like shit. the only band that can do it right is acdc they're yeah. the only ones yeah. we can all sit there and dissect it and everything and they're like oh well, they're doing this that doesn't matter we can get up there and try as best we can it's not going to sound as good because we're not acdc or the ramones you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. like oh you think that's easy to play all downstroke 16th notes constantly correctly on the beat perfectly have fun with that see how long it takes see how far you get they get halfway between beat and the breath before someone's arms are tired and the tempo slowed down, and they just can't do it. It's not fucking easy to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and like, that's why, you know, Clem Burke was never the drummer. Like, he only made two shows, and he's one of the great drummers to ever come out of punk, but couldn't fantastic. be a Ramon.
1: No. He was fantastic, man. You had to be geared for that kind of a thing. It mm-hmm. wasn't even, it's like, eh, you have to be more military. It's all in the hands, and all in the, it was way more of a physical thing. And it was uh, just creativity, you know, kind of the same way with uh, ACDC. It's very physical, you know, very physical thing to do.
0: I'm really interested in that whole uh label group that Hagfish got signed to. And I think the Toadies were in mm-hmm. it, Tripping Daisies in it too. And there's maybe a fourth band or is there a fourth band? A uh, it...
1: label group? Which one?
0: Well, the, like when you, the first, for Cadillac, for, the, for Buick Man, the first record came out on like that. That oh. weird, like it was like a promo, a Texas promoter that signed all these bands that wind up becoming very important bands. But it felt like you were all like in a circuit together, from what Zach described.
1: A circuit, yeah. We would all, but we all had different labels. Uh, Toadies were on Grass Records. First off, they did Pleather. Um, then that got picked up by Interscope, mm-hmm. I think. Um, we were on Dragon Street. Uh, Tripping Daisy had gotten they were kind of one of the first big bands there and they were just exploding and that's kind of how we got our start is because one of their techs this guy named Steven, loved us he was a ramones nut he started playing us for the guys in tripping daisy and got us to open up for them and then we just kind of people loved us and it we went from there and so then their label dragon street picked us up because they had sold them to island records so they pay for Buickman basically okay and
0: was was that like and that was you guys would tour together right like I remember Zach telling me that you weren't necessarily touring on the national circuit you tour nationally but it was always in in a separate little world or something a little but at first I mean
1: at first yeah before like around god when we started touring touring it was like 93 94 that was about the start of it tripping Daisy had just gotten signed and there was a band called Course of Empire that had been signed. And uh Rev was on sub pop. All these things were slowly starting to happen. Toadies were putting out some records, you know, they were putting out uh pleather, but they hadn't been signed to Interscope yet. And we were all slowly kind of like emerging <laughs> out of like the mud, you know what I mean? To we all knew our thing. I mean, we all would go to each of the shows and hang out and stuff, but we were starting to step out of texas more and um zach like hagfish had this really great agent named paul nugent and he would just send us places we were like his lewis and clark he was like hey guys i got you some good money these shows could suck let me know and then i'll send i'll start sending the other bands. so we would give them the okay like that place was cool or that place sucked you know and then he would start sending other bands and build up routes that all the other bands from Dallas could take and do, you know. And but we were kind of the fearless ones. He was like, "Well, it's about a thousand-hour drive. Um, the money, shit. I'll send Hagfish. They'll do it, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you got it. We'll go, fucking dumbasses. But it's what, how we first got to Chicago and made a lot of fans there and same way with going to la same way with going to uh florida we would just be like we were up for the adventure Mm -hmm. well we'll make money we won't starve we'll get to play shows and we'll have fun so yeah what's the downside here you know Mm -hmm. i mean the worst that can happen is we're gonna you know get stalled somewhere when the van breaks down it was gonna happen anyway and it did all the time like okay well we knew it was going to happen, <laughs> but at least we played some shows. We had a great time and we made it back home. You know, we'll wait to do it again.
0: Were they kind of pitching Dallas at that time as the next Seattle? Because there was, like you're saying, yeah. there's like four or five bands that were signed.
1: They were. And a lot of the labels were looking at that, but it didn't work. Because mm-hmm. if you go to Seattle, they had a sound, mm-hmm. you know, if you went to New York, even like the, uh, a lot of even though. Talking Heads and Ramones and Blondie necessarily didn't have a sound. They kind of did. They it worked, you know. Same way with uh, Chicago, Smashing Pumpkins, and those bands coming out, you know, or Kansas City and bands. And but Dallas didn't have that. We had none of that. You had the Reverend Horton Heat, Tripping Daisy, Course of Empire, Us. You had the Toadies. You had Bob Goblin. You had so many different bands, Brutal Juice and Baboon. None of us sounded alike. No one sounded alike because, to us, we were like, we're not going to sound like the Reverend Horton Heat. We'll get clowned. Like, oh, you guys are just ripping off the Reverend Horton Heat. Or there would be bands that would try to come up and they would try to be a Reverend Horton Heat. There, there was a couple of bands that tried to sound like Hagfish, Tripping Daisy, all of this stuff, and none of them ever went anywhere because people in Dallas were like, there already is that band. Do something new, you know. Once you do something new, then we'll come see you until then fuck off. So it never really worked at all as a scene. Some, so much as like you would think of a Seattle thing, you know, cause none of us would uh, ever try to sound like each other, like, oh, fuck. No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know? And it's, a, it's, it's the same thing as the Texas rebellious spirit. We have to be individuals, you know,
0: It's still interesting because like, even at the time, being a fan of all these bands, getting into this music kind of separately, listening to college music samplers and things like that, I never associated them with each other. Like you're saying, the sound is so disparate, but the fact that you've got, like, you know, ran off a list of six bands there, all of them got signed to national deals and and toured kind (laughs) of nationally and had a profile. Like, I can think of Smashing Pumpkins and Poster Children from Chicago and that scene, but, like, the fact that all these and you're all like you're saying you're all friends you all knew each other
1: oh yeah it would be i mean we would all hang out we played together we'd hang out together you know we were all touring at the same time so my wife would go downtown to deep element hang out and like how was it i would call her from the road dead all you guys are on the road no one's here (laughs) (laughs) Then at the end of the year, none of us were touring. So it was just party like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Then we're all telling stories and stuff. Mm -hmm. But, and it was a fun, fun time. It was a really cool scene because no one was trying to bite each other. No one was trying to like one up. We were all feeding off of each other. If I'm listening to Bob Goblin's brand new record, oh my God. Okay. Well, now we got to go do something that's better than that. Or whenever Jim came out with a liquor in the front, poker in the rear, like are you kidding me? Toadies with rubber neck. When that came out, Jesus Christ, no one could believe it. You know? Yeah. Like, what the hell? Because they used to be just they would play, but Todd or Vaden, our singer, he went by Todd at that point, he would just scream bloody murder. His face would go as red as your shirt right now. And and no one would look at everyone was just the band would look at their instruments except him. He's looking at everyone and just staring the audience down like fuck with me. I fucking dare you. That was his look as always. Yeah. <laughs> and the songs were crazy and written weird. And they were like in a very acquired taste. You know, if you were a Toadies fan, like, oh shit. Okay. We all were. Everyone in Hagfish was. We loved them. Every time we played. We try to get on bills with them, everything. And then Rubbernet came out. Like, what in the fuck? Where did that come from?
0: Well, it's funny, too, because I can't think of another period of time where I know that many bands from Dallas. Like, there's obviously Power Trip, and sort of more recently, I know a lot of sure. bands from Dallas, but still that scene, like, there were just so many bands popping off there. And it didn't, it felt like it was like a real fertile but brief period for music there
1: yeah it was it really was and it was a it was just a i think we got in at the exact right amount of time because we had started when we did hagfish it was you know we were playing this place called the jumping java joint and we would play our own really fast songs and sprinkle in like frogger from bad religion you know or some circle jerk songs and stuff like that and then we'd walk around deep ellum and look at all the bands that were playing the clubs like we want to play there you know and we knew we weren't going to get to like okay fine we'll just we'll stick to the clubs that we're doing but then we got george in the band and he was writing cool songs but they were still fast you know mm-hmm. the lyrics were too fast no one could hear it then we got this drummer named scott carter that's on buickman as well he'd only been playing a couple of years but he could do, he could play like Tommy Ramone. He couldn't play fast like Pete Feinstone from Bad Religion or Jeff Nelson from Minor Threat, but he could do an easy one, two, three, four like Marky Ramone or Tommy Ramone. So we tried that out and the song slowed down and people were actually able to hear roll over, roll over, like, oh, hey, that's a melody. Shit, that's kind of cool. So that's when things started kind of happening people were like oh these guys have cool songs because they slowed down you know yeah and it made sense we've got demos have to find them of us playing a lot of the stuff that ended up on Buick man and it's like a you know fucking out of step speed you know and it just didn't work until we switched drummers and then it worked people could hear For lack of a better word, the genius of George's writing, you know, which to me it is. The guy's got
0: amazing lyrics, unbelievable lyrics.
1: Fucking amazing. And his voice, his voice has an innocence to it. He's Mm -hmm. not like, he's almost like Milo. You know, Milo can sing his ass off, but there's an innocence there. Mm -hmm. There's feeling, there's passion. There's not, he's not emoting or anything. He's just singing, but it's from his heart. Same thing with George. George wasn't a George looked at himself as a songwriter that we made sing. He didn't want to sing. Wrote, nah, you're the singer. Fuck, dude, come on. <laughs> you know, and he was like, Alright, I'll sing. And he did. And he was great at it. But whenever he did sing, it had this beauty to it, this uh, innocence, and just kind of nakedness, I always listened to, you know, mm-hmm. and but at the same time, a cocksure and weird, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to what pull they- that off at the same time.
0: I, know, I think that's why, like, when I first heard it, I was like, he can't be saying that, can he? And then, like, go to the, <laughs> the lyric sheet and be like, what? Like, as a kid, like, what is he
1: saying? No. No Just way. Eat, eat it while I wait. This record no. came out in a
0: store. How can he say this? That's crazy. <laughs>
1: but That is awesome. That uh, is so cool. Yeah. It,
0: it is such a, uh, it's such a, like an amazing period of music post-Nirvana where all yeah. these sort of disparate sounding bands are all being signed and it produced kind of this like glut of almost incredible music as everyone's searching or the music industry searching for the next Seattle. But like going back now and looking at all the weird, interesting records that came out during
1: that time, it's, Dude, it's amazing. Yeah. You've got, I mean, you even had bands like bedhead, you know, yeah who yeah. turned into the new year, yeah. you know, I mean, they were around at the same time. They, op- I mean, and it's, it was them and then us and sometimes we'd be on the same bill like why are we all on the same bill <laughs> who did this with the reverend horton heat why not
0: <laughs> well, and you do you, know? you did a band with a drummer from reverend horton heat later on right like that i i used yeah. to have that seven inch what's it called the um el diablo el diablo that's it
1: yes it was and that... me and zach taz um and then uh and toby bean who was in street Dogs. Mm. he was the singer and we just did a quick ep and we toured all over for about a couple years we tried to make it work and it just people weren't interested unfortunately but we had a hell of a lot of fun playing in that band and learning from taz just a great just a great fucking drummer such a good drummer (laughs) you know
0: would that band wind up playing with a lot of that sort of austin man's ruin garage rock stuff that was kind of happening around the same time
1: yeah, we would do like the super supper, super suckers type stuff, mm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of those kind of bands, Zeke, that kind of stuff, you know, we were still doing Hagfish at the time as well. It was back and forth, but I think Hagfish had just put out the self-titled record and we were like, George was having another baby and it was just kind of like, we were so tired. We kept getting offers. We were getting offers to play Canada with face to face, no effects. We were getting shit thrown at us, but we were fucking exhausted. Oh, so, so you guys were going
0: to be on that no effects face to face tour. I think no use for a name does it in the end. And that is uh, uh-huh. a, a big it's, show
1: for me. One of my first shows. You almost saw us do it. <laughs> that would we be were amazing. I was already a fan we, of you guys. So we got it offered and we were like, I remember we were just talking to each other. We had done all us all in Zeke. We had done that we had done offspring tour we had done so much stuff you know and it was just kind of writing our record and there's a record we did in between lame ass and self-titled for london we did and writing that thing making it and getting dropped and having that thing never be released was just such a mind fuck to us it tired us out It was exhausting, you know, and yes, sir, go ahead. No, I just don't think I ever
0: knew there was another record.
1: Oh Oh. yeah. Yeah. It was the majority of the songs we well we worked on them and worked on them. And we talked to a lot of different producers when we were with London for our second London record, like Gil Norton, you know, but he wanted to go to England to make the record. We didn't want to go to England. We'd just come back from England, you know? so he had time to go and make the color and the shape of the Foo fighters that kind of shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that record um that record so we went with a guy named bo hill who taught us a lot he made a rise or rise with bad brains but he also did rat warrant winger he was their <laughs> producer yeah and he did teach us a lot about songwriting and playing we learned a lot from him but the record it wasn't us. Mm. And we were just fighting it tooth and nail. we were wanting to go to a different producer. And in hindsight, we should have just let the fucking thing come out, played and toured and just we would have gotten through it, you know, but the label didn't really like it either. So they dropped us. And within a month, Mike picked us up at fat, you know, he was doing honest ons, And he was like, you know, I'll uh, I'll give you guys the money for it. And we're like, well, we have demos. Do you want to hear them? No. <laughs> <laughs> because it's Mike. He was like, just go make a fucking great record, guys. Here's the money. Whatever yeah. you need. Like, in true Mike fucking briquette fashion, he's just a good dude to a band he likes. Like, no, do what you need to, man. Like, total punk rock. And that's why we love that scene. You know what I mean? We were at our lowest. We'd been dropped, everything. Like, what the fuck are we gonna do? Here comes Mike. Here you go. Like, well, we wanna go with Bill and Stephanie. I don't care. That's what I was gonna suggest. I'll send him the money, make the record. And that's what we did. And he didn't hear it until we were done. And he goes, It's a great record. I'll put it out. You know.
0: I've asked him about it too, and I've never really gotten like sort of well, at least an answer that I'm satisfied with. But I find like <laughs> the fact that he does honest Dons at the same time he is fat, fat has so much brand recognition. Yeah. so much like you know but i guess it also had baggage and maybe that's the reason that, i think that is the reason he yeah. said he did honest on so he could have different sounding bands but to me yeah. all these bands would have been okay on fat it would have if anything made fat sound a little more broad
1: well i think at that time it uh, if you think about it, hindsight now it would because they have so many different bands on fat but at that point Fat was known for no use for a name and lag and strung out you know it had that sound so to have a band like Hagfish, or uh, Riverdells, you know what I mean. It was us and Riverdells. We were on there, and uh, the Teen Idols, Chicks stuff dig like it, that. Dancehall Crashers, and I dig think. It, that exactly. So it wouldn't have worked. They had to try something else out, no. you know. And that was mainly led by Mark Tomo. You know, he was running fat, and then decided he wanted to try this. And Mike was like, "You guys would be perfect for Onestones," you know so he gave it a try and we were just happy like fuck, this is great you know it was we still got the same press the people from fat got we got everything it was still the same stuff we went to europe same thing same interviews all of it it was amazing you know but also we were pretty tired at that point just from everything that had happened and i think if we had just taken a couple months break we probably would have been fine. We probably would have kept going, but it, it had just been too much. I mean, like 10 pounds of shit had gone into a five pound bag at that point for us. <laughs> I mean, we had been busy straight. George got in the band in 92. So from 92 to 98, we literally did not stop. We toured the world probably three times. We went to Europe three times and did, I think, 15 tours of America. 15 to 20 from 92 to 98 and made three records you know yeah so it was it was a lot on our psyche at that point point. and at, at that point some of the other bands from dallas were kind of breaking up and it was just kind of fizzling out at that point as well you know so it all kind of ended at the same it began at the same time and ended at the same time you know
0: and, and i know I, and because and, i know you do the mag seven and uh, yeah. you, you do a couple other projects in there but were you kind of stepping a little bit away from being in a full-time band for a minute or like how long before you joined the toadies is it
1: somewhat i was like i did uh mag seven because i'm a surf night, and i just did another record called uh the tulsa doom it's all me i'll tell you about that later though um because i'm a surf idiot why not i'm in the middle of texas why yeah. not love surf yeah. music you know <laughs> I told you, Wavos and Shadowy Men are two of my favorite bands. They're amazing. And can you, can you surf in the Gulf? Yeah, but I'm not gonna go there. Fuck that. I don't love it that much, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna say there's there's
0: more surfing in Texas than there is in Calgary. So I guess you've beat your right. that.
1: Yeah, but Brent's such a badass. Brent J. Cooper, everybody. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. Calgary's on, you know. So <laughs> um they're um I did that basically because I was free. I was done. We were done with Hackfish. Zach had already joined Guar. so it's kind of left to my own devices. I didn't have my partner in crime with me anymore. So I was like, shit, now what do I do? You know? And I found Dan Phillips that uh, was in Slow Ride and True Widow, the guitar player and singer in True Widow. Before he did that, him and another friend of ours started a surf band and the whole point of it was to not be Hagfish. It was, this riff sounds cool, let's do it. Because there's a certain amount, and Zach will agree with me, civil Tony, civil George of Hagfish Damage, where we pick apart every bar of every song. Is it right? Oh, is it not? Okay, well then we got it. We go bar by bar, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I just wanted to play music. And then Zach and I had only crime, you know? um after a while we did Armstrong after he was getting done with Aguar we did Armstrong then that turned into only crime Zach went straight into only crime from Matt then I got in the band then he got rice against and I went home <laughs> for a bit oh, see, I loved I I loved Matt that took Zach's place Matt Hoffman great fucking guy great guitar player but at that point i was just tired and i just wanted to go home for a while and i kind of thought i'm 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 done for a while i'm not really going to do anything then i found out about the toadies gig and here i am you know <laughs> i couldn't believe it because they were always one of my favorite bands and i couldn't believe i got you know i was able to do it they were like well we're gonna play this song yeah i already know that one well now we're gonna play this song well i already know that one too you know i already knew this shit.
0: I find, I find Grass Records, too, where, like, that the first Toadies label, I find that label so interesting. Like, obviously, that Toadie record is incredible. The 15 record yeah. they did is incredible. There's so many unbelievable records on there. And then it becomes a label that puts out Evanescence. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. Isn't that fucking weird?
0: It's you know? so weird. It's like someone's ear just went out the window or something.
1: <laughs> it did. And it's just they had all this great shit. And I I can't remember they had some other bands grass did that signed and i can't it was a weird story i think they had pollen as yeah. well
0: commander cody
1: they they had
0: commander yeah cody which is the uh pre-bright eyes band they had the, the precursive band too was on there like it's just what? yeah there's it's wild some of the stuff they were signing and it's it's all these scenes that are are disparate but all of them are Are incredible to look back upon and where these bands came from or where they went and then and then
1: the new metal stuff comes in (sighs) no yeah that was a a (laughs) dark day for music (laughs) actually zach was telling someone about this right when corn were getting big we were in it was our first european tour and we were in london at the columbia hotel did you guys ever stay there
0: i don't think so no we we looked at matador had an apartment in, in the building, so we'd sleep in bunk beds every time oh, we played there. It was kind of cool. It was right above the warehouse, so you could go down and get free records in the morning.
1: Oh, you dick. That's
0: I know. Awesome. I, <laughs> I, I want to get back on Beggars just for the shopping spree.
1: No shit, <laughs> dude. God. Well, if this was the Columbia. It was ran down at that point, but it was like the rock and roll hotel. It used to be like the rock and roll basin in Chicago, just mm. where all the bands played mm. or all the bands stayed. And um we were there one night and it was in the front room hanging out was us, uh Waddy from the exploited, this band called Lords of Brooklyn and Corn. <laughs> this makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It works. It works. Well <laughs> and call- we we're all hanging out until the Lords of Brooklyn were gonna get in a fight with Waddy. And Zach went over to him and he was like, Hey guys, and it was like three or four of them. Zach was like, Guys, you don't want to do that. And they were like, Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's just him against us. And Zach was like, yeah, those aren't good odds. Yeah, you're going to need to go get more guys. (laughs) (laughs) You're Brooklyn and all, but this is Waddy. Don't do it. (laughs) So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: um, I don't know, like you're saying, it's a real interesting period in music prior to sort of the new metal, um, I guess, like pop punk ascendance. And post the kind of grunge alternative thing where it's just like this weird stew of all different types of sounds and and an industry that's looking for the next thing to latch on
1: to. Yeah, they didn't know. So they were just throwing everything at the wall to see what would happen. We had so many friends that got record deals that they never did anything with Mm. it, unfortunately. And they put out amazing fucking records. If anyone's listening, look for the Bob Goblin record, 12-point master plan amazing record it's one of my favorite of all time you know the guy matt the singer is a genius they're all amazing musicians and unfortunately it didn't do anything but it's an amazing fucking record (laughs) you know
0: it's just
1: incredible but you know the record label that they were on didn't believe in the band they just picked them up to try it out and so that's what that's this other shitty thing these major labels were picking bands up because we saw it happen so many times to our friends. They were picking them up thinking, hey, we'll just give these guys some more money than they've seen. It'll be a drop in the bucket for us. We'll literally throw it out there. And if it doesn't do anything, we'll move on to the next. And then they're killing these guys' hopes and dreams you know, that they've worked their entire lives for. And it's dashed and then most of them don't even go back up to play it happened to funland uh clark vogler who's in the toadies mm. his band funland were on an uh, arista they put out one ep eh. and that's it and that's it and they're an amazing band you know did hash palace ever get signed to a major label god you are good um <laughs> i have all that seven inch <laughs> you know what greg their singer just died last oh, i'm sorry year. to hear that yeah, it stinks. He was a really nice guy. His When I dated my wife, when we started dating, he was dating her roommates. So he and I would hang out a lot. Really nice guy. And their bass player was just a sweet guy. Um, really good. My wife was friends with those guys. She loved, loved that band. She's got some, I'll have to find some hash palace stuff that she's got saved i'll send it to you I I mean, to i'll show you it. pictures yeah oh yeah if i send it to you i'll get she'll divorce yeah, it's me she's a but, collector oh, you yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah, get yeah <laughs> no but it's, it's some cool stuff but they were cool guys i don't think they ever they were one of those bands that pushed it they got bigger them and locals gringos and three on the hill and a lot of these bands got popular Kind of paving the way for the tripping daisies and the hagfishes mm-hmm. and all these others. So they were there first. Then we all kind of came in behind them and were just standing on their shoulders to go farther. But they paved the way for us, you know, and hash pallets were one of those, definitely.
0: Yeah, so it's almost like the wave, I guess, before the ba- your bands, like this wave of bands we're talking about.
1: Yeah, it had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Someone had to start it up in Deep Ellum. So they did. They went and crashed these clubs. Like, well, we're going to play. Huh? Yeah, we're going to play. And then they would bring in shitloads of people. And that paved the way for the other bands to come in. Like, well, those dumbasses are doing it. Why can't we fucking do that? You know? Yeah. To so what Zach and I saw. We saw a lot of bands that were like, we're fucking better than them let's go do this shit. you know and then we did we got in and we're cocky so <laughs> we proved ourselves right i guess yeah. you know
0: yeah and i guess it's like you need you know the next every generation t- tries to take it further and and shoot mm-hmm. further than the one before them. so you kind of need to yeah. be you need that launching pad to go and do what everyone did
1: I think after that, there were some good bands that came after that. But I think the labels had already like, nah, it didn't happen. So we're going to go to the next city. And so they just kept looking around for other people. You know, it didn't really click. It did for a bit. You know, Tripping Daisy did well. Um, The Reverend was doing great. But that wasn't enough to ensure like a good thing that the labels were going to come back and check all of it out you know Mm -hmm. obviously the toadies the toadies were by far the biggest band from that era and that still do well you know what i mean and it's but looking back on it if you look at all a lot of those records and the stuff the bands that they influenced zach and i meet a lot of bands bands that are peers of ours who really loved hagfish that we never would have known like you did and it's cool to see you know it's cool to to hear that
0: well I guess with you and Reverend Horton Heat both of you guys kind of fall into scenes like you can kind of yeah like a national scene I mean or international scene
1: no you're right yeah you're right punk and rockabilly yeah. you know and we did so much I just got off of a two-month tour with Reverend Horton Heat you know I've spent so much of my time with the Reverend Horton for 30 years now and I mean I'm not complaining Shit, to call them friends and that I've spent that much time with them all right okay I'm cool with that you know they were our first big well actually tripping Daisy was our first big tour we did a tour with Bad Brains when uh God of Love came out for like two weeks which was insane How, what, was, <laughs> what was that like <laughs> i'll tell you later dude I, I don't want this recorded i'll play it later okay. it was well i do like one night we were at the trocadero in philadelphia and they wouldn't play you know i i don't i don't know what the deal was but they weren't gonna play we had played and they for you know they would come out and play a couple songs and go off come out play another couple songs and leave the stage finally it's philadelphia you know, you're know, you going to give them a reason to riot? Yeah. Have fun with that. <laughs> yeah. We'd never been to Philadelphia before, and we were going to New York the next night. And so we were like, holy shit, we got to get the fuck out of here. So we go out of the alleyway where the Trocadero was, and people are on either side of their bus rocking it back and forth, you know? <sighs> They were trying to get at our van. We were like, where are the opening band? We're the <laughs> shitty bald guys, the punk band. And people were like, ah, fuck you guys. You know, people liked us. Yeah. But they they figured out who we were, like, ah, let's not hassle them. They, you know, <laughs> those poor guys.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the tour they they I think there's a fist fight in Toronto when they played Toronto, and that was the end of it.
1: That is the tour I'm talking about. And yeah. it happened uh, I guess after Philly. Billy was, I think the last night and we jumped off and did something else and went to New York. We didn't do New York with them. And they went off with beastie boys. Yes. That happened four days after this incident. (laughs) So we were like, they're with the beastie boys. This is going to be amazing. Great. And then a few days later we're like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) We heard heard, about it. Like, and I think the
0: story I heard it was in Al Nolan's apartment from trigger happy. Really? when the fight happened if I'm not mistaken I got to double check that with him but I I think that was what he told me back then
1: yeah (laughs) it was a crazy tour man and but for us we were like bad brains you fucking kidding me we get to hang out and open for bad brains every night I mean one time Daryl the bass player started playing the top of the regulator And I'm talking to Zach. We're talking, and then he starts playing it. We're like, oh shit. And we start running. And then he stops right before it comes in. So it's like, damn it. Fucker. (laughs) But to sit and talk to him was a mind opener for me. I was just sitting there talking to him, you know, asking him questions, watching him play. You know, we never missed a single night. We would get done. Clean off really quick, and as soon as they played, we watched every single night. It was never one of those "ah, we'll go back and hang out and do our own thing." Nope, never. We're like this bad brains. We're gonna watch every fucking night, and we did. All of us did, just because it was our first big tour, you know. So that was a great way to start.
0: Well, I could punish you forever, Zach. But I, I'm sorry, <laughs> Donnie. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to do dude. that, dude. I got nothing else to do. Punish, I do to my kids all the time.
1: Will. I do that yeah. to all my kids all the
0: time? Like my, my mom that.
1: used to do that before caller ID. I would call her and she'd go, Zach, no, Mom, Donny, with a question mark. Like, is there another one? Uh, I are have... only two of us.
0: <laughs> I do have to ask you for your perspective on the greatest story of all time, which is you guys connecting. <laughs> with mvp because i i think um you know i I just want to hear your take on everything too because having heard both you know your brothers and mvp's side of things it felt like this brief encounter was so pivotal to both of their trajectories afterwards and i was just wondering how you kind of felt it when or did it have the same sort of impact on you
1: i just thought hassan at that point he was al you know i just thought he was just again I was telling you about we were just interested in meeting new people. So, and I've heard his point. He was like, well, fuck, I'm going to roll these guys. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we we didn't know that at the time until later. We were like, we were afraid you were going to roll us. Oh, I was. Right? like, <laughs> We were kidding. I'm not. I was going to. <laughs> like, okay, well. But we were just like. I mean, we were broad-eyed, bushy tailed like, oh, here's a new dude. Let's just hang out and talk to this guy. We didn't know what his background was. We didn't know what he was into. We didn't know what bands he was going to be into to turn us on to. It was kind of real, like, siphoning energy from people. Like, what are you listening to so I can get into that? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like every new encounter, this guy could be into something badass. And he was. He did turn us on to some great music, you know? But we turned him on to uh living color we turned him on to some other bands as well and Voivod. yeah exactly Voivod and metal and just and another viewpoint of things of him hanging out with my mom and my dad my parents loved him they thought he was a great kid you know and just someone new a fresh someone that wasn't from sherman so hanging out with him meeting him that night it was a fresh energy like whoa This is a really cool dude, you know, and hanging out, going to parties, watching Al not take anybody's shit at all. We would go to parties and I never wanted to get in any fights ever. I hated it. I did not like it, you know, and we tried to avoid it. And but Al, he didn't give a shit. He was like, this is this is Tinker Toys. Who's going to do something to me? No one, you know. And the other kids, the other kids that would try to bully us or other people, they knew it. They thought they were alpha dogs. And they were like, oh, this guy's the real shit. You know what? I'm going to walk the other fucking way. I'm not going to get in with this guy. But just his his outlook on things, it was real. It was a different perspective because we were born and raised in Sherman. We hadn't even really been to Dallas that much, except to go see Slayer or Anthrax or something. Then we got the fuck out of Dodge and we come back to our safe zone in Sherman. He had actually lived, done shit. you know. So we were grilling him about things like, wow, what's this like? What's that like? How is it back home? What happens in Miami? What's this like? What did you do? And I think he liked talking to us about that stuff because we didn't judge him for anything. like, whoa, what was that like? We were just interested to hear his perspective and hear his story. And I think he met people that were actually just interested in him. You know, three guys that he, or two brothers, because Billy was there as well. But Zach and myself, just two guys that were interested in him and his story and had really cool parents that were open-minded. Probably another thing that he wasn't really used to you know being an African American hanging out with white kids in Texas in the early 90s and you know, late 80s and early 90s and stuff you know so i think we did a little bit to get rid of those kind of stereotypes from for him as well i hope i hope we did
0: he 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 he's talked to me about it like and, you know i don't i'm not putting words in his mouth when i say this but like how much hope meeting you guys gave him especially when he was doing the time in prison like the fact that Wow. You guys knew you're going to do this in music, and how this was something that stuck with him, you know, and, and conversations with you guys in your room, and about the the hope for a better tomorrow, and the idea that there is something beyond
1: the, sure, the world I, of today. That makes me happy. I I, I, I like that. It's because I could see then he had a huge heart. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't. You know, Hassan wasn't this. He at that. I mean, he was big and gruff and all this and like i will bust your fucking head open if you fuck with me but that was a product of defense you know Mm -hmm. what i mean Mm -hmm. that was just that was because shit had happened and he had to be that way that wasn't him you know i mean fuck i saw him in august we played houston he brought his son to the gig i hadn't seen him in a long time and it was just so great to see him so badass to see him And he's the same person, same with that big, uh, heart, you know, but he does jujitsu now as well. And so I'm going to go roll with him when I'm in fucking Houston next time. And it's going to suck so bad for me.
0: Well, good thing it's jujitsu and not like, you know, so like, at least there's, this is a sport that's designed to have, you know, uh, no size advantage necessarily.
1: Well, I wouldn't go that far. especially when you've been doing that he's a got the wrestling you need yeah. wrestlers in jujitsu, god that and then he's i believe his son's brown belt at this point yeah and he has his strength and athleticism so he has quite a huge advantage actually well, i'm but rooting for the
0: underdog i'm gonna I'll, I'll put money on you donnie i promise don't
1: i'm not putting money on i'm putting money on him Are you kidding me i'm not an idiot i'm putting my money on his ass man but you know what I mean? You've got yeah. him. He has yeah. such a big heart. Mm-hmm. And for someone to to say that that they looked at us and could look at hope. You know what I mean? That's the real Al slash Hassan. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. the real Hassan right there. Is that he did he does have a huge heart. And he had it then. You know, my parents could see it. You know, they knew, like, oh wow, this is a really good kid, you know. And he was he was just at that point, he had, he just wasn't going to take anyone's shit. And we realized that as well. We're like, fuck, this guy's just like us. He's not going to take anybody's shit either. Let's own this fucking town. <laughs> you know, we didn't care what happened. We met uh, a compatriot. He was like our fucking fellow soldier of not taking shit from anyone. And you might have to go down for that, but oh well, you know, like y- unite, you know.
0: Well, I love the, to me, it's like this, this kid coming from a situation where there's no hope. His best friend had just been murdered. People are trying to kill him and meeting these two metalhead brothers that live on nothing but hope. Like they're getting picked on all the time by kids and just like, you know, that this hope that there's something more out there. And it's like, you know, right up till the fact, like you end up beating up your high school bully. Like Zach's version of the story is that you end up confronting this high school bully that had picked on you. And I just feel like both of you guys, you're both groups, getting something out of this relationship that ends up somehow playing a factor in where you all wind up. And you're all following your dreams. It's fucking crazy.
1: It is. It's it. it really is a weird story, you know. But it's, and I got to put a lot of it towards, our, my mom and my dad. You know, they they did take that hippie aspect of believing in yourself because they were trounced down on as kids. You know, they were told, you're never going to be shit. You're not going to do this. They didn't have a lot of bright future. So they were like, we're damned if we're going to have our kids be this way. So they told us every day, you're the best. You're the best looking. You're the smartest. you know, But they didn't care. They were like, you're going to do, you're going to be great at whatever you do. And I said, well, what if I want to be a ditch digger? They're like, well, then be the best ditch digger. Who cares? Mm -hmm. But be great at whatever it is. We believe in you. We never heard, you you can't do that, or you're never going to do this. We always heard, yeah, of course you can. Just do it. It's your life. Go do it. Always, 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 day in, day out. Don't take anyone's shit. Don't do that. Their whole point was, if you start taking people's shit now, you're going to do it on down the line, and that means you're going to take no for an answer. And we never did take no for an answer. That was the whole... Point of the exercise, I think, of our upbringing, not taking no for an answer. So if we're already raised with that, then we always have hope. You know, like, well, okay, someone's going to say no. We're going to go, no. (laughs) That's not going to work. So when you're raised with that, you always have hope. It's like, okay, yeah, we're in this shitty town right now. We're going to get out. How? Don't know, but we're going to. We'll figure it out. It will happen in due time and you're just it kind of i guess you know infects the people we're with hopefully and, I, and i'm glad hassan saw that you know Cause we were just being us it's just our daily lives with our parents you know and just how we were raised pretty much
0: yeah no there's a conversation he brings up where it was the three of you guys hanging in his room and zach turned to him and said I'm, we're gonna make it we're gonna make it doing music And you're going to be, and we're going to teach you how to play guitar and you're going to come on tour with us. And, and, uh, I just think like, it's so that's what an inspiring thing for kids to have that. And it's so awesome that you guys had that, like, to know that, like, yeah, like you're saying it, we don't know when, but it's going to happen.
1: You know what? I remember he and I were talking about this the other day. I remember, um, we had started Hackfish and it was a few days after our dad had died and our friend, Scott, had um he had struggled with girls his entire life and he had finally lost his virginity you know and he called me he was like dude i got laid last night like my dad died an hour ago dude." so all of that so we did the funeral we did everything else you know and um a couple of days after that he goes hey guys i'm gonna go to this town whitesboro um why don't you two come with me? I'm gonna go see that girl that I was with, and I'm gonna hang out with her, you know, and just get you the hell out of town for a while. We're like, okay, it's a great idea. So we rode with him, and um, he he was he was like, hey guys, uh, can you all get out of the car and go walk around for a while because she's gonna we're gonna be you know making out in the car. And we're like, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, we totally will. So we got out and we'd also we'd already talked about we're going to make it and all this stuff but we already had you know um we were really talking about it then like our dad had left he wasn't going to be around anymore we were having a good really good long frank discussion we had it was one of those things we'd always known we were going to do but we'd never just sat and talked about it so this was the first time we had really just talked about it of all right dad believed in us Fuck it we're totally going balls to the wall right now we're we're doing this this is what we have to do um we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and we just outlined everything we talked about kind of just a really good heartfelt uh discussion between the two of us you know instead of just letting shit be known which is how we've been raised it was you've met you know my brother well and he and i i mean we're just like this mm-hmm. we talk every every fucking day we're each other's best friend you know and the majority of things we don't have to talk about we never did but sometimes we do this was one of them and we just had a great conversation probably the first heartfelt discussion we'd ever had in our lives you know it had taken 19 years to do this i was 19 at the time and Mm -hmm. just about our goals our futures what we're going to do this way we're going to do that way outlining it and i remember we're sitting there and zach was like ah yeah we're going to do this. There was a pause. And he goes, Hey, you want to go fuck with Scott and that girl while they're banging? And we're like, Oh, yeah, totally. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we walked back, got on either side of the car and just slowly kind of like when Snoopy's coming out of the pumpkin patch, you know, and the great pumpkin, slowly put our asses up, like on the window on either side. <laughs> and that girl started screaming and ran out and went inside and we were driving back, and Zach and I were like, Hey, dude, thanks for bringing us. This is, we really needed this. He was like, Yeah, I'm really glad I brought you guys. Like, we really needed it, man. Thank you.
0: Well, Donnie, I really need this conversation. And anytime you want to come back on here, please know the door is always open.
1: And Thank you I'm so sorry much for it took having so me. long. God, no, thank you. you you're you busy. You're kind of being busy in like one of the world's best punk bands. So you're forgiven.
0: <laughs> I can't think of a better way to go out than that. <laughs> thank you, Donnie, for coming on the show. And you're right there, Donnie. We'll be back for part two at some point in the future. And once again, you can check out Donnie's ebook available everywhere, even if it kills me martial arts, rock and roll, immortality, and, and you can also check out more information about Zach's band over at thetoadies.net. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. I, anytime I get to add to that sort of massive ball of yarn that is the MVP Blair Brothers saga, I'm, I'm a happy uh, podcaster. All right, that is it for me. Um, coming up on the next episode of Turn Up Punk. This is a good one. From the band Husker Do, Greg Norton is on the show. We're going to continue. Actually, I think we're finishing up with our bass player, Streak. We've had one big, long bass solo on Turn Up Punk for the last month or so. And uh, it finishes up with Greg Norton on the next episode And that is it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and just stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different races because what we're talking about here aren't political issues. These are basic human rights issues. People deserve to live free from hatred and oppression and violence and discrimination. So if there's organizations that are affecting positive change in your community, or, or other places, and you want to get involved, get involved. It's going to make you feel better about the uh, state of the world if you help affect positive change in it, you know? Speaking of getting involved, start a, start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. Well, maybe not a podcast. Do uh, do whatever. Just make something. Punk is a genre based on participation. It's something I learned from the great uh, Tony Erba a long time ago, and I just saw him the other day. And so I got to, you know, I, I got to reiterate, this is not uh, a scene that, you know, you just sit passively by and watch pass you by. So make the culture you want to see in this world. Uh, speaking of making things, make a difference in someone's life when you can't live your own. <laughs> Weird way to put it, but sign your organ owner cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. And I've seen it perform miracles. I really have. Uh, if you're getting stressed out by all this talk, try meditating. Meditation is something that I have started using and and have come to kind of really appreciate and i know this is not new to probably many of you out there but for me it was something i did not i don't know didn't take seriously didn't try and and now it is something that uh as i say it provides me a lot of comfort at times so try it for yourself and i think that's it is there anything else i say no i think that's it thank you everyone for listening and i will see you on the next episode